This is Mental Work, the podcast unpacking the challenges faced by early career psychologists. And I'm your host, Dr. Brunwyn Milkins. Hey, mental workers, and welcome back to the Mental Work Podcast for Early Career Therapists. I've got a really exciting episode today, and it's linked to this idea of exploitation. Now, anecdotally in the field, I've heard of it. I've heard of early career therapists and early career psychologists as well who have been exploited in their workplaces, whether they've been taking on internships and not been paid or been in extremely vulnerable situations where they've been taken advantage of. It's not good. When you hear it, I'm like, oh, that's really bad. It's not great. And so rather than sweeping it under the carpet, I really wanted to bring it out into the open. And I've got somebody here with me today who I think is going to add so much to this conversation. Their name is Carly Dober. They're a psychologist. And hello, Carly. Hello, Bronwyn. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. I'm so glad you are here. And I'm really keen for listeners to hear who you are and what your background is around this and why we're talking to you. Oh, I can ramble, so I hope I don't. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm a psychologist. I also am a director with the Australian Association of Psychologists Incorporated. So just working in the profession and also loving advocacy, I'm very passionate about this. I'm also a yoga teacher. Um, I have a lived experience of poverty and um, relying on social services and caring for my mother from a very young age. So I think this is a really important topic for myself and just knowing that peers might be vulnerable to this as well. So you've motivated from personal experience to be like, hey, this has happened to me and I hope that the peers, it won't happen to them as well. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And it's really cool to hear that. I guess like advocacy seems to be part of your identity as well. Oh, for sure. I'm a staunch climate and environmental activist and I'm also on community radio, but I think also we are in an amazing field. So mental health is amazing. And I find that not many people come to mental health just out of the blue. You know, they're often touched by lived experience of mental health or caring or um, it's in their family or friendship groups. So I think that advocacy, it, it's all around us and I hope that it continues to be. Carly, I'd love to start with a shared definition of just what exploitation is, because honestly, I tried looking through our ethical guidelines for what exploitation is. And do you know what? I could not find a definition of what it is. I had to Google instead. So it's actually not listed (laughs) uh, in relation to us. And I think it might've been listed like once in relation to clients, like obviously don't exploit them, but it was never actually defined. It was like, don't exploit. And so here's what I pulled from Google. And it said, the act of using someone or treating someone unfairly in order to benefit or gain advantage. Does that sound about right to you or would you like to expand or modify that? That fits really well, I think. Shocking that it's not in our ethical guidelines. I'm shocked. I know. I'm shocked too. It's So it's it, the word is in there. It's definitely like don't mm. exploit, but it's not actually pulled apart like other words are. So in our ethical guidelines, it would be like justice, autonomy and stuff like that. And it'll kind of pull it apart and define it. There was no definition of exploitation. Interesting. I know. So we'll go with that. And I guess like in relation to early career therapists, I guess like some of the ways they could be um, treated unfairly in, and have, I guess, be taken advantage of could be through not being paid or being put in vulnerable situations. Is that about right? 
I would say yes. And also perhaps working more hours than contracted. I would also add that. Yeah, absolutely. And really grateful for you to actually come on and kind of be willing to share your own experience with this. So maybe you could take me to what happened with you and your experience of exploitation. For sure. And thank you for asking. Um, I think the first instance was when I was a little prof psych. And, you know, again, I find people who are in mental health, it's a caring role. We all really, really give a shit. Yeah. You know, we really want to do a good job. We want to be there. We want to show up. We want to save the world, you know. Um, And I think sometimes people can sense that. And I was offered a position at a medical practice and I was so excited to be offered the role I just said yes because I didn't know better and again I was so touched and honored to have been offered a role like this because I didn't think that university was in my future I didn't think being a psychologist was in my future I was just happy to be considered so I said yes and contract came I read the contract and I I didn't think anything of it because I didn't know better Um, but as I said the practice was a bulk billing practice and for me to see clients there they would also take 40 percent of the bulk billing rate so you're a subcontractor which means that you don't get paid a salary you don't get paid sick leave you don't get paid superannuation so once the $88.65 was received by the practice they would take 40 percent of that oh my goodness oh my god my alarm bells are already going off please continue <laughs> yes. And again, I wish I knew this earlier um, or just understood what it all meant. Yeah. Um, and then from that leftover, the 60% of the $88 leftover, you do pay your superannuation, your sick leave, annual leave, your help debt, which is pretty significant for many mental health workers. And for mine, it was above 80,000 all up. And then, you know, bills, rent, all that normal stuff that people have to do to live it I was essentially working for nothing and I did that for three months and you know I was meeting the most beautiful people I was so happy you know people were so grateful because a lot of people can't actually afford to pay a gap to see a psychologist um you know I was always happy to say yes always happy to see one more person so I was working for this practice about 50 to 60 hours and you know as you know that's a recipe for burnout as well but no one stopped me to say you probably should go home or you probably shouldn't see another one they were happy to you know book someone else in and then I didn't feel comfortable saying no because I was only psychologist I thought it meant something about me to not be able to hack it or to not feel okay about it so that was my first um baptism by fire into being exploited oh my gosh I feel I feel so bad for you because I'm just visualizing that situation and Carly overworked just like yes I'll see another client and then just earning like peanuts and having to take everything out because at the outset and this is what happens with early career therapists they say okay 40 percent of 88 dollars that means I'm earning you know about 50 bucks an hour that's great 50 bucks an Mm -hmm. hour I love it Mm -hmm. but then they Mm -hmm. don't realize that you have to take out the rest for super and of course paying all these fees and insurances and all these other costs that come with it yeah Mm -hmm. wow oh my goodness yeah 
Yeah. And then I think at, you know, the end of the first two months I was there out of the three months, you know, I was, I was exhausted. I wasn't really seeing friends much anyway. And that's that whole, you just need to self-care more, you know, again, that internalization that it must be something about me. Perhaps I'm not cut out for this and I really want to be so much. Um, and then I was just thinking, what is it all for? I'm burnt out three months in. This is absolutely not sustainable. I cannot be here long-term. What, what is the end goal? And I sought supervision and very, very quickly, my supervisor was like, get out. Nope. This is not okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I spoke to the practice manager and I just was, because I, I, again, I was making these really nice relationships. I didn't yeah. necessarily want to leave, but I wanted the, you know, I just wanted it to be different. Um, and they were not supportive. I, again, I don't think many um, workers understand sometimes mental health if they're not a mental health worker themselves. And if you're not a psychologist as well, you don't really understand admin time as well. It's not just getting, get out, adios. Um, and it just wasn't workable. So I let them know I was leaving, tried to refer out who I could. And yeah, it took me about a month to recover. Um, uh, absolutely. I mean, totally understandable and reasonable. And I'm so glad that the supervisor you sought out actually straight away identified that this was an exploitative situation. Yeah. And she almost had the response, like she's a fantastic woman, like very seasoned, knows her stuff. And she was like, I'm, I'm not surprised. This is um, unfortunately all too common where these um, deals are provided to, you know, young, green, keen, caring mental health workers. And it's a revolving door system. It's just so unsustainable. Absolutely. And that, that factor that you pointed to there is like very keen, wanting to have excellent relationships. Maybe the first time you've been in a, a multidisciplinary setting with other GPs and you don't want to rock the boat. That's right. Yeah. And it, it does open us up as, as well. I, I guess what I'm hearing from that is it was difficult to know what was normal in that setting. So they just kept on giving you clients and you're like, oh, okay, I guess this is, you know, my thing. I just do this. Is that right? That's right. And I was trying to kind of um, see it from their perspective, you know, how would they not really understand what it's like as a psychologist? And then if I also think of the health sector, you know, I have friends who are doctors and they work ridiculous hours that are, are not conducive to good mental or physical health through their studying. And that's just how it is. You just do 80 hours and you cop it and you say, thank you. You know, and I wonder if any of that culture bleeds into yeah, I'm not too sure. And then the system pressure of Medicare as well, it also doesn't really lend to them making a lot of money, which impacts their overheads. It's it's a very murky area. Yeah, I agree. It, it could point to systemic things. And it was interesting that your initial response in that setting was to kind of blame yourself and be like, maybe mm -hmm. it's me who can't hack it. Maybe I'm the problem here. And it sounds like that might be a cross-disciplinary kind of thing. I would say so. And I think especially in the caring field, you know, we, again, we really care and we kind of come to this perhaps um, internalizing messages, you know, that under capitalism aren't really helpful. Like there's got to be something wrong with you if you can't work 50 hour weeks and then do everything else you need to do in a work week. It's yeah. And I think as early career psychologists, we're very, very vulnerable to that. Or, you know, early mental health workers, very vulnerable to that. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, for those reasons, I guess we said earlier, it's like you just want to please, you might not be aware. And that's precisely what makes the situation exploitative. The assumption is that I guess we should be taken care of in that situation and not be actually exploited for essentially working for nothing. 
Yeah, that's right. And it's not as if, well, I'm not sure what um, unis are like now or higher education institutions, but I know that certainly when I was doing my undergrad, doing my honours, doing my um, four plus two internship, it wasn't really set out how much you should be earning an hour and what the minimum you could be asking for if you're a subcontractor when you have all these other things that you have to pay. That practical component wasn't really there. It was only there in professional supervision. Mm, Yeah, I think it's still not there. So I did my, I finished my plus one internship. What was that? Maybe 2019, 2020. And so that was only a few years ago. And Mm. I was an employee which you have to be during your five plus one internship or your four plus two internship. And it was in my contract that we weren't allowed to discuss wages and there was no actual uh, allowance to be like, how much are you earning? And then we actually worked out amongst ourselves. We had about four people in our team and we worked out that one of us who had been there the longest, he was earning 10 K less than us. And I felt so bad. Yeah. I find that deplorable and I'm sorry, but with the amount that we pay with the money, the money that we are owed, I think, you know, secrets thrive in the dark, right? They do. So I find that clause to be, you know, morally, I'm like, that has to be illegal, but I know it's not. Yeah, it's, it's not illegal. Yeah. <laughs> but morally, it's, it's yeah. very deplorable. Yeah. 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 It's shocking. Yeah, because like, again, it's like as a prof psych, I see this salary and I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. I've never earned that before. Mm. It's like, you know, you're doing retail and hospitality and and kind of research (laughs) assistant jobs. And I'm like, wow, this is so great. But you don't factor in, I guess, the emotional and actually time burden as well, that you are working more hours and are expected to do overtime without being paid for it. And it's unspoken. And once I mm. tried to raise it with my manager and I can see now what, what the issue was, but once I tried to do this thing where I was like, you know, how much time is everybody else spending on notes in the morning? And how can, how can we get that down? And now I realize what happened is that the manager was like, I don't think we should have a team meeting about this. And now I realize the reason for that was because everybody would have said it's taking me two hours and then that would have led to a discussion around payment and so I was like oh okay at the time I was like I'm confused why, why wouldn't he want this to us to talk about this it's not <laughs> funny but it's so absurd <laughs> oh no it's funny yeah <laughs> oh my gosh yeah but I think that's why my biggest advice is talk to your peers talk yes. to your colleagues you know if you can't if you can't verbally say what you're earning write it down yeah. On a note, even mm. a note or something. You know, I'm just, I'm being facetious. Yeah. But, you know, your your union or your member body will be very upfront with you about, you know, safe and healthy and sustainable working conditions. Yes. Yes. Which is, which is great. And I think that kind of attitude, like it must be something wrong with me that like, I can't hack it is one of the things that silences us. I know, I know it silenced me. I was like, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm being too entitled sort of thing. Um, And that prevented me, but I absolutely, having looked back and where I am now, I would 110% endorse what you are saying. Yeah. And I think um, also that feeling that you might have to prove yourself or earn your stripe to be able to earn a particular amount of money that's less than almost nothing. But I think I think also mental health workers can devalue themselves for, you know, myriad reasons. I would encourage people to not forget or downplay how much education you have and how much experience you have. 
I mean, you, we all really do collectively, especially have so much knowledge and it's not, it's not just, you know, uni degrees, it's training, it's previous roles that we've had. It's lived experience for some people that we have. There's so much knowledge. Do not devalue yourself. Absolutely. Preach. Yes, I agree. <laughs> and, and that leads me to my next question, actually. I, I kind of want the answer to this to be no, but I do wonder, have, did you encounter any more exploitative experiences after your first one? Sadly, yes. Okay. Similar, different? I, I, I learned very quickly to avoid GP bubbling practices when I had, had knew what to look for. Um, so this, I avoided them, but they're still out there. Mm. And again, because of a system's not really lending to sustainable working practices, but even sometimes in job interviews, you'd be asked to come back four times to deliver a one hour presentation of your own intellectual property to deliver to an employer, a prospective employer, and then they would want ownership of this and then have you verbally commit to um, delivering this workshop or whatever you're talking about and also retaining people or else you don't get paid for this time. You've already spent five hours of free labor on this and you haven't even signed a contract. Wow. So this happened to you? Yes. I was on an interview and this happened and I just thought this is wild. That's insane. Thank you. Yeah. It's very validating to hear that this yeah. is not okay. Yeah. No. And again, it was the same thing. You know, is this just what happens in mental health? Is this just what happens to other psychologists and I've just got a chip on my shoulder or what is going on here? No, it doesn't, it doesn't sound right at all. And it, mm. it definitely fits into our definition of exploitation, which is that you are not being paid as well as this really weird situation of kind of having to hand over your intellectual property without even having signed a contract. Mm. And yeah. then they would perhaps offer me work if I also agreed to have 10 people sign on to this course that I would deliver. Oh. But to be paid, but to be paid mm. they would have to stay for the six weeks. Wow. Is that like multi-level marketing? Like that just sounds weird, doesn't it? Like it but it was a pretty relatively well-known employer, I would say. Wow. So what are your... What were your reactions as you were going through that? Like, what were you thinking to yourself? Oh, God, same as always. This is so exciting. Yeah. I can't wait to show off what I'm passionate about, what I like knowing. I hope they like what I'm doing. I can't wait to see their faces when I talk <laughs> about things that make me feel yeah. And then, you know, the conversation seemed to be going great. I thought, you know, we're, we've got it. Like, this, I'm, I'm hopeful that they'll offer me something. And then, you know, the heart sinking oh no, why is there something about me? Why would they offer me something like this? You know, how many other people are going through this? Has anyone taken this and not been paid for all this work? And that fear, like, what do I do? So there was fear. It sounds like there was some confusion there as well. For sure. It certainly wasn't stipulated in the job advertisement or the correspondence emails before or during about any of this it was delivered in the interview after five hours of free labor had gone into it so with the fear can you tell me a bit more about that what were you afraid of I think you know it was maybe six months after this experience and I was still a prof psych and I was thinking have I spent all this time and money and education just to kind of be taken advantage of is there a positive experience out there what does this all mean who is this happening to you know all yeah just to feel like maybe I've stuffed up maybe I've gone down the wrong path if I can't 
say yes to this kind of stuff. So it sounds like there was that self-blame again, like looking internally to what's the issue with me. I think people will have a strong sense of how I talk to myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't think that this is uncommon. Like I pointed out, because I, I bet that this is really, really, really common that we all start out so excited and then we're like, what's wrong with me? And I guess like even as a therapist, we're actually taught that self-reflective process, always look within you. So it's ingrained through our training as well. Mm, yes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what could I do different? Yeah, exactly. So it's unsur- it's not unsurprising. And I guess therapists tend to have that internal locus of responsibility and control rather than actually being like, hey, maybe it's the system, maybe it's the employer around me, especially if they're a well-known employer, like quite, I guess, reputable publicly in their, in their space. Yeah, that's right. And then it made me also a bit fearful of them. Well, if I say no to this person, will my um, reputation as an early, as a prof psych be trash? Will I get any other um, opportunities? Should I just say yes to this? Because what if this person talks to another person? You know, the yeah. spiral we experienced yeah. during stress. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like a lot of powerlessness as well. Like you felt like you were the small one in this equation. They had all these power over you. They definitely did. And it was a three panel interview or discussion. And I think I was um, also trying to perhaps look at the other people in the panel, like is, I mean, are we all listening to what's being said? You know, am I the crazy one? Yeah. Not implying that people were crazy, but just, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And again, I feel like that would be a common thing. We're trying to work out what's happening here, but we have no bar or sense of what is normal we, we trust them to actually be the the ones that will take care of us but it actually seems like there are some systems that are not taking care of us yeah it's, it's yeah and I think again that's why I do find early career mental health work is just so vulnerable because yeah. you don't know what you don't know but again if I if I if I felt I could have just texted someone been like hey I just got this offer what do you think? That would have been really, really helpful. But I think I was also a bit embarrassed to perhaps raise it quickly because I just thought there must be something about me if these offers are getting thrown my way. That's the key thing, isn't it? Like, Mm. because you're right, like it seems like such a simple option. We could have texted somebody, but you know, yeah, I've been exposed to situations and it's just, you just feel like you can't. And maybe that's part of the exploitation as well, that you are the vulnerable one in this situation. You think that there's something wrong with you and that the trusting person is right. Yes, especially when they are an esteemed person. And yeah. They, they, you know, professionally on paper, they're incredible. You know, you have that um, respect for their work and what they've done and their contribution to mental health and people as well. So it is, yeah, it's really, really complex, I think. Yeah. So, so how did you get out of this situation? I um, I trusted my gut, which is really, really nice. So well I, done. I just always, yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I trusted my gut and I just said, I'll think about it and let you know within 24 hours. And then I um, actually called up the um, Australian Association of Psychologists Incorporated because they're very responsive. And I was just like, can I just run something by you? And I, I felt a bit like I shouldn't have, but they were very, very helpful. They were like, how about you write your concerns and uh, write your questions down and email them. So you've got the um, offer in writing and then you can call us back and you can let us know we can discuss it and that simple piece of advice was just so helpful because I was like oh maybe I have misunderstood or misheard yeah you know that, that can't be right but then actually sending it through and getting them to write it back to me I was able to have that distance that you don't necessarily have in face-to-face immediate conversations and I was like this 
is not nothing I would choose for myself. And this, this is nothing I would offer anyone else. No. And I called them back, um, RP back, and I thanked them for their support and um, well, the lesson learned. Wow. I'm so grateful that you were able to have that as well because as you're talking, I realized that another element we haven't talked about is perhaps this time pressure. So like, yeah, if you don't say yes straight away, they're going to find somebody else sort of thing. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Someone else, someone better, someone keener. Yeah. 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 Wow. So I'm really, I'm really grateful that you trusted your gut and like you were able to say, I'll think about it. Just give me some time. That's very powerful. I think I also had the element of not needing them um, you know, this was going to be a second job. So this is like, this was going to be another part-time job to complement a part-time job that I was already in already happy with. This was, I didn't, um, have that urgency, but I think had I been looking for work and not had that initial, that other job, it would be a different story. And that is, um, again, another vulnerable space when people actually just need a role, you do feel like you have to take anything, whatever comes to you first. You do. And I guess like when I hear that, I'm like, don't feel pressure to take that role. But what would you say to the listeners? I would say I understand the pressure, but no, if they're talking to you, that they probably are more interested in you than you're, they're letting on. So mm. no one will begrudge you just saying, oh, thank you. Um, would love to touch base in 24 hours. Can I do that? You'll hear from me by close of business tomorrow. And then just sit on it and sit with that urgency or that fear as well. But then, you know, talk to someone else, talk to a peer, talk to a friend, colleague, partner, advocacy body, union, whatever, senior psychologist. Absolutely. Love it. So give yourself space, talk to somebody external. Yes, for sure. Mm. And yeah, I understand that as well. For myself, when I was looking for internships, I think I must have like cold emailed 50 places, cold called 50 places, applied for so many jobs. And yeah, I was desperate because I kept on getting back. We're not taking on prof psychs. We're not actually able to do this. And so for the first workplace I had, which is the ones that I mentioned earlier, it's like, oh, wow, they actually want to interview me. And this is so great. And so you'll just accept anything. And yeah, I didn't read my contract. <laughs> yeah and it, it's that whole thing you know again like it just sounds like we're just so happy to have the opportunity yeah you know to put these skills to use that we've cultivated for so many years that we love that we're interested in that we're intrigued in it's that whole sense of meaning in work not many people get to have that and we as mental health workers get to have that more often than not when everything is also supporting that so yes please hire us we're there yeah, I'll say six clients a day. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. That was my KPI, by the way. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. I how? Yeah, no, it's impossible. And I think it comes mm. back to like being so keen because as an early career psych, I just didn't realize the emotional burden that um, is placed on you. And particularly for me, I was seeing quite complex clients as well. So imagine kind of six quite complex with really high needs. They're going through a lot of difficult things and the emotional 
a toll it takes on you, not because the clients are burdensome in themselves. They are lovely people who just have needs and need support, but it does take a lot on you to kind of hear these difficult circumstances they're going through and to support them in the ways they need to be supported. Also knowing that you probably can't support them in all the ways that they need. So there's that sense of powerlessness and hopelessness as well. Um, You don't realize that when you first start out. Oh, no, you don't. And even just the amount of attention that it takes to give that active attention to be thinking five steps ahead. Do I need to call anyone? Do I need to yeah. have a safety for this person? That takes an incredible amount of energy. It is not sustainable to see that many clients every day. No, nah, no, nah. but we don't realize that. So No, no. And again, it's not in the syllabus. No, it's not. No. I wish no it was. was hey. Oh, it'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it would be. So, yep. Carly, uh, I'm hesitant to ask you again, but did you ever face <laughs> another experience of exploitation? Nothing, I think, that was too significant, but I did have the shoe on the other foot. I, um, I'd been managing um, mental health residential units for some time and also um, working with many, many peer workers, and I had experiences where perhaps the role um, that was communicated to them in, you know, from HR or from whoever was employing them looked a little different when they actually started working and were working with me and supporting the residents. So um, I also knowing that, you know, there might be like some absenteeism or just some burnout and I'd just be like, Hey, in supervision, how are you? How, how are you feeling about work? Please talk to me. What's going on for you. And I think that's really powerful as well um, to, to just try and inquire because again, sometimes managers also don't know what's going on if there's a bit, if there's like a large organization and there might be multiple steps. So if you're able to communicate that with um, your employer, if it feels safe to, because I understand that a lot of people will not feel like they're able to, and that's not for me to judge. Um, I tried to cultivate that with um, staff of mine and try to support them in their role in whatever way they could, whatever that meant, you know, less working days, less clients, whatever. But, you know, I did find that interesting to be on both sides almost. That is you really know, interesting. Because I was participating in a system where people may have felt exploited and then trying to work through that and support them, whether that meant supporting them to find different workplaces or to stay in the role or to stay in the org, but a different role or whatever, I found that quite interesting as well. How is it for you from that perspective, I guess, having gone through some difficult experiences yourself and seeing that, I wonder whether that was hard for you emotionally as well? Yeah, it, it is because ultimately, you know, when you are an employer, you know that healthy, happy staff lead to great outcomes in whatever work people do, whether that is, you know, call center work, whether that's you know, physical labor, but especially in the healthcare system, you know, so it was really, it was strange. And, you know, I look back thinking, what did I miss? Um, How can we improve these like hiring practices? Um, How do we all get on the same page from before people even apply to the role? Yeah. So, Sometimes I do have listeners, I've got a few listeners who are actually supervisors or senior psychologists themselves who are interested. And I wondered if you had anything that they could take away from that and how to actually foster a workplace that that is safe for their employees. That's a really good question. I definitely tried to ask very direct questions in a, you know, support, supportive and safe environment. Um, 
you know, do you feel this work is sustainable? How are you going at work? Is there anything that I can do or we can do to make things better for you here? You know, and when the answer was actionable, please, easy done. When it wasn't, okay, well, what do you need from me? How can we support you to make your next move, whatever that looks like for you? Because ultimately um, someone's well-being, that's the most important thing. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So I'd like to move on to something related, but just kind of shifting a bit in the other direction, which is that from your experiences, what can you tell the listeners about how they can protect themselves from exploitation? We've already had a few hints and tips dropped throughout from each experience, but is there overall kind of summary that you'd really like them to take away? Yeah, I definitely think you know, like we said, communication and sharing of information is really vital. People don't know what they don't know. I've said that before. I'll die on that hill. Yeah. Um, But if you're able to turn to, you know, people that you work with actually in the org, friends, colleagues, informal peer supervision, please do that. I also recommend that people join a union or an advocacy body so I'm an RP woman I recommend them but whoever your overarching membership bodies join them they're a source of information advocacy support as well and also they promote sustainable workplaces too. I really love that suggestion because it also reduces professional isolation it's like part of what we're talking about with this exploitation is the idea that we're, we're doing it all alone whereas if you join a union or you join your professional body you're definitely not alone there is support there that's right absolutely and I um, also um, calling for change with the systemic stuff so we know that medical for psychology we know that two-tier Medicare system that ultimately who suffers from that clients of people accessing support wanting to access support so you know talk to MPs talk to government about the reform that's so urgently needed. Um, I would say those things are probably my key takeaways. And also, please get support for yourself. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I think the self-blame can make you feel defective or, you know, whatever your propensity to feel is. For me, it is defect, shame, feelings of not being worthy. And I wish I sought support for myself at that time as well. No, that's a really good point. And there are free services available as well. So for instance, I'll link them in the show notes, but there's Beyond Blue and there's a few other, as psychologists, it's like working in this field, we actually do know a lot of free services available. But of course, with the uh, mental health crisis going on right now, good luck getting something, but we'll see what we can do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, but seek support any way you can. But I do I do agree with the sexual things. And I think AAPI, they're really active around this increasing, I guess, dismantling the two-tier rebate for psychologists mm. and also increasing the rebate for everyone, which means that clients will be able to better access the help that they need. And it'll also, I guess, reduce that vulnerability for psychologists to be exploited. Yep, that's right. You know, I find, I imagine, you can imagine a world where, the two-tier system is abolished and all psychologists can earn a minimum of $150 bulk billing. Yes. You know, these GP practices, they won't feel the need to churn and burn. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think I've said it on the podcast before, but it's like when I was a teenager and I was going through mental health struggles, literally I could not afford a psychologist because I was working like, you know, two days a week at muffin break. And yeah, no, those wages actually don't cover seeing a psychologist when you're paying rent and actually supporting yourself as well. So having the $150, boy, that would have made such a difference to be able to access help. So I'm so grateful that AAPI are advocating around that. Um, 
Carly, I think we're kind of coming up towards the end. Is there anything else that you want to say in relation to this topic? I'm really grateful that you've shared your experiences and I'm sorry you had to go through them, um, but I'm really grateful to have benefited from the learning (laughs) provided. (laughs) No, I just, I think this is such a fantastic topic and I think this podcast is amazing. So yeah. I think that's all I needed to say. Awesome. And Carly, if anybody wants to get in touch with you or find out more about you, where can they find you? Yeah, so I um, have a private practice. Um, You can contact me at Enriching Live Psychology. It's an Instagram page. You know, I love talking to peers and connecting with amazing mental health workers across Australia. So please feel free. Thank you so much, Carly. And thank you listeners for listening. If you have any feedback on this episode or anything you want to do to add to the conversation, please do get in touch. My email is mentalworkpodcast at gmail.com. I've also got the Facebook page. I'd love to hear your feedback on this issue. Take care and catch you next time. Hey, mental workers. I just wanted to give a quick shout out to the people who have left the podcast a review on Apple Podcasts. It has been awesome having these reviews come through and I am so grateful. It really does make a difference in helping other people find the podcast. So, Betty, Messenger is Evil, Sublime Sounds, thank you so much. It has been amazing seeing your five-star reviews and I am eternally grateful. If you would like to leave the podcast a review, you can do so by heading to Apple Podcasts and you can also give us a five-star rating in Spotify. Thanks again for supporting my humble little podcast. I really hope it's making a difference. Catch you, mates.